0: So today's scriptures reading is uh, Hebrews 1, uh, 1 through 4. If it's on the Pew Bible, this is on page uh, 1001. Okay. Long ago, many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, All right, thank you. Uh, good morning, everyone. Again, I have the pleasure to preach to you since both Pastor Susan and Young are away for the English Ministries Men's Retreat. Um, before I begin, I'm actually a little nervous today because I just realized on the, you know, and I was talking to Nancy, my wife, on the drive here um, that this is the first time I'm actually like preaching with her in attendance. Right? So I'm like, okay, like, oh man, I got to like <laughs> really bring it. Uh, uh, so uh, bear with me. Um, well, before I begin, I kind of want to give a recap of uh, what's going on um, in, our, in this sermon series since we're having a joint worship with our youth. And we're coming in on the tail end of the EM sermon series on scripture so this is kind of for our reference for our youth group and, you know, a and, 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 you know, nice recap for our EM. Over the past month, the EM has been going over the topic of scripture. You know, why should we trust the Bible? Um, from, and, you know, I, I believe Pastor Young and Pastor Susan have talked about how um, from it being the source of divine truth, right, and being divinely inspired, uh, to talking about its actual re- reliability from how it's been recorded and passed down, all the way to its historical accuracy. All right. And last week, Pastor Susung preached on trusting the Bible because God's Word has the power to transform lives. And he used this word, a peculiar glory, a, a, or in another sense, a, a beauty within it. All right. And so today, we're going to cap off this series by focusing on how the bible culminates or finds its ultimate purpose is to point to Jesus and so today we're going to kind of do you know a little you know couple things here you know we're going to look at the text we're kind of going to go over like like the narrative of the bible it's going to be a little nerdy so I'm a, I'm a pastor nerd out a little bit so I'm sorry to everyone who find it a little boring but um, let's look at our text right so the writer of hebrews here starts off this letter to Jewish Christians, right? So when we when we look at Hebrews, it's actually, you know, called Hebrews because it is a letter to the Hebrews or to the Jewish Christians of the time. And so right from the get-go, what we see the writer doing is he is praising and describing the greatness of Jesus. I mean, verse 3, I mean, you read that and it's Pretty awesome. He says, he is, and he's talking about Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. You can tell like the rider here is, is like rolling and he's excited. And, and man, that's like, you should read that, that is one way to introduce a person. I mean, I, I, I would love to be introduced this way. Like someone who would come. All right, today we're going to have, you know, Frank, who is the radiance of God's glory and blah, blah, blah. And he'd be like, yeah, that's, that's pretty awesome. And so you can tell there's an excitement here. The writer of Hebrews gets straight into Jesus and he's like super excited about it, right? But when we go back to verse one, we see a kind of funny way that the writer of Hebrews actually introduces Jesus. He starts by telling you know the Jewish Christians, his audience, that in their history, and he says, God spoke to us. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Right. In other words, before the New Testament, you know the Bible is separated into two parts: Old Testament, we say, you know, shorten it for OT; New Testament, NT. Right. And you know, for these Jewish Christians, before you know, we had the whole Bible. There was only the Old Testament. And for the Jews, right, when he says, you know, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, what he's saying is, you know, whenever you hear um, in the Bible, oh, the prophets, right, the prophets and Moses, Moses and the prophets. And whenever you hear that, you know, your mind should automatically think Old Testament, right? And so for the, he's telling the Jews here, okay, God spoke to us through the Bible. God spoke to us through the Old Testament, And we're talking about everything from Genesis all the way to all the, you know, you, ever, you know, read the titles of the, of the books of the Bibles and all the way to all the weird names like Obadiah and Nahum and Isaiah and Malachi, right? And so God used these, these men who wrote the Old Testament to reveal himself and the writings of the prophets. With the divine inspired word of God, and that's what he says. So he says, he's telling the Jews. So long ago, God spoke to us through the Old Testament. God spoke to us through the prophets. And then in verse two, he, he changes gears and he basically says, "But now God speaks to us." He's telling the Jews of this of his audience at the time. God is revealing Himself. Back then, this way, but now. In these last days, and you know, whenever you hear last days, a lot of time, you know, we get that picture of like Armageddon and, you know, rapture and all that. But actually, in a lot of times when we, when we think of, when, when they say the last days, we're talking about everything post-cross. All of time post-cross. So from after Jesus died and rose again and went to heaven, till today, tomorrow, whenever it is, to the end days. That is considered the last days. Okay, it is not like Armageddon and like fire and devils and all this thing coming out. It's just all, the, all that time up until now is considered the last days. And so in these last days, instead of having the prophets, God revealing himself through the prophets with the Old Testament, he says, we now have Jesus. Jesus is the full revelation, the full revealing of God. Now, why does the writer talk like this? A little background info will help us see what the writer of Hebrews is doing. At the time of this letter, many of the Jewish Christians were going through some form of persecution. Okay. Some were abandoning the faith, and they were going back to their old, old ways, right? going back to the old religion of Judaism, which had been following you know, all the ritual laws, following all the food laws, Right, doing all the sacrifices. And in the letter, the writer is arguing his case, and he's basically telling them, we do not go back to the old ways. That in the midst of their suffering and persecution, he, he, throughout Hebrews, he tells them, endure, endure, okay? Endure. And he says, and he, and he often repeats, because, endure, because going back to the old ways is not going to change things. It's not going to bring relief. In fact, the writer argues that even the Old Testament and the prophets, that actually what they do is they foreshadow Jesus. And so Jesus is the completion of scripture. And this is why in verse 4 he says that Jesus is better than the angels. in in the chapters afterwards he talks about Jesus is better than Moses who was the greatest prophet and one of the greatest leaders of Israel he tells them um, he's better than King David and actually you know even in the midst of persecution he tells them what you need to do is not turn back but to cling to him Christ who is better than all of these other guys so when we look at Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, it shows us a template of how we think about the Bible. That everything in it, to one degree or another, points us to Jesus or reveals something about Jesus to us. And it's when we begin to see Scripture this way that it really starts to come alive. I remember as a kid, uh, and I'm sure many of us have come up with this issue. Um, you know, as a kid, I would I would look at this Bible and you know, and you're taught you should read the Bible, right? Because that's what Christians do. And I would I would look at it, and there'd be days I'd be like oh yeah, i right, I'm gonna read the Bible and I look and I'd be like, oh gosh, where do I begin? Right? It was super intimidating to read. Right? Some of the stories capture our imagination, you know, like you know the story of King David uh, the beginning of the world, stuff like that. But by and large, right, a lot of the stories we find kind of perplexing and kind of difficult to read and understand. Um, and I can see that not all of the books, and when we look at it, right, you, you look at all the different books in the Bible, a lot of them are stories, some of them are history, some, of, some parts of the Bible, like, like uh, Psalms, are poems. Part of, it, part of it is wisdom literature, like Proverbs. There's a whole chunk of the Bible where it's just law. If you ever read Leviticus, right? When I was a kid, I would read Genesis, okay? Because it's all stories, It's like cool stories. And then I read Exodus, and you see, and Exodus was really cool because God would do these, like, plagues and help Israel out. And then by the middle of Exodus, all of a sudden, it, like, changes, it switches gears, and all of a sudden, you just get laws. Do not do this, do not do that. If you eat, don't eat, a, you know, a, a baby goat in its mother's milk. Don't cook a baby goat in his mother's milk. Mother. Like, what the crazy is going on here, right? And then you hit Leviticus, and I would stop reading because i like, I have, where do I even begin? Where, how do I even begin to understand this, right? And then if you, you know, if you're able to go past that part, you go deeper into the Bible, right? You you start to you know read about Obadiah and Nahum, all these prophet books, and then you you read these visions and prophecies, and you're just like, what the, there is. He's talking about a animal that has like seven eyes and seven horns, and these beasts do stuff. And there's a cherubim, and what is going on, right? And so, you know, you try to make sense of it all, and I know as a kid it just hurt my head. I'd be like, okay, I can't read this; it's too intimidating. You know, I've been there, right? And somewhere down the line, right, we might have been taught where we came to assume that a couple things about the Bible. One, well, it's God's word. That seems like a jigsaw puzzle. Hard to understand. And two, somehow, somewhere, I'm supposed to figure out how I'm supposed to live by reading this thing. And most of us, you know, the default mode is always to go back to the Ten Commandments. At least I understand that. I would say even all the way up to my college years, there were times when I approached the Bible with kind of a quasi-mystical, you know, mysterious, luke used the force kind of attitude, right? I don't know if you did this, but my guess is a good portion of the room has probably done this, where, hey, you're compelled to read the Bible one morning or one afternoon or one evening, and you open it up, but you're not sure where to begin, and you do one of these. You go, Lord... I'm going to read this, right? Please speak to me through this. And you go. <sighs> yeah. and you take your finger, you point it, and then you open your eyes, and you, and you, you look at which, you know, your finger, which, which verse you're closest to, and, and, and you think, okay, God's going to speak to me through this word. I'm going to be blessed. You're going to tell me what to do today. Right? And let's read this. I am at 2 Kings <laughs> chapter 8. Verse 29, and King Joram returned to be healed in Jezreel of the wounds that the Syrians had given him at Ramah when he fought against Haziel, king of Syria, and Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, went down to see Joram, the son of Ahab, in Jezreel because he was sick. And then one of two things happens. Sometimes, not often, sometimes you'll read a passage and you're like... (gasps) it's so relevant that's like maybe 5% of the time but 95% of the time you get this and king joram returned to the sea to be healed in Jezreel on the, on the wounds that the Syrians had given him at Ramah and you're like hmm i'm not really sure how this applies to me and then we get discouraged because you know we, we think that the bible Has no relevancy, or the Bible can't speak into my life. And why read it? Now, I call this method the uh, fortune cookie method of reading the Bible. Uh, Because when we take that method, yeah, you know, you point your finger at one verse, right? And the Bible doesn't make sense, right? It won't have any relevancy or power in our lives in the same way. The Hebrews, you know, the audience of, of this letter, right, they were having a hard time understanding what scripture was pointing them to. Right? In the same way that going back to the old ways wasn't going to improve their situation, when we take the Bible as a fortune cookie, we're essentially making the central focus of the Bible about you, about me. I and mean, that's what fortune cookies are for, Right? They're there to give you some type of advice. You, you know, open up the cookie. You know, it tastes good, but the best part as a little kid is you, you take that little piece of paper out and you, know, you see what kind of advice it gives you. And now they give you like numbers, right? Lotto numbers right, on the back of it. And you're like, oh yes, maybe these are the numbers. Why? Because it's there to give you advice to make your life you know, f- better or you know, a lot of times they're jokes now so or make you feel better. Right? But scripture is not primarily about you. It, it definitely has something to say about you. Don't get me wrong here. It is about you in one sense. It does have something to say about you, but it's not primarily about you. It does have something to say about you, but it is always in relation to God revealed through Jesus. And today what we want to do is, you know, I hope we can start focusing, moving our hearts toward this idea that you know, we are to see the Bible through a gospel lens. Because when we start to see the Bible through a gospel lens and we start to make God the primary focus, but not even just God in a general sense, but we start to make Jesus the primary focus of the Bible, it will actually start to make sense and you will actually get to see the beauty of it the relevancy of the Bible in our lives, and most importantly, you will encounter the living God, Jesus. And what do I mean by that? You know, I said earlier that the Bible often feels confusing because there's all these different books, right? There's all these different books in there, and it feels like it's been kind of just stitched together without rhyme or reason. Right? You have all these different genres you have history, okay? You have law. You have prophecy. Okay, you have these epistles or letters. All right, you have wisdom literature, proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Psalms, even Job, and it just seems like it's all just bungled together, and it's hard to make sense of it. But actually, when we start to look at the Bible and say that okay, the point is to reveal Jesus, then actually it ties together rather nicely, and we can see its cohesiveness by looking at the threads that connect the different books together. So the, when, I, when I say threads, I'm thinking themes. There are, there are themes in the Bible okay, that often repeat itself. And these are the threads in which it connects all the Bible together. Okay. So I've done some legwork, actually. I didn't really do the legwork. There was a smart man by the name of John Calvin. He did a lot of the legwork. And one of the ways in which we can see how Jesus is the culmination of the Bible is to look at this, this repeated idea of the prophet, priest, and king. The Bible actually, whether it's in the law, whether it's in the wisdom literature, whether it's in the histories, especially in the Old Testament, right? the Bible talks a lot about the role of the prophet, The priest and the king. And how those roles played within the life and nation of Israel. All three carried immense responsibilities in Israel's relationship to God. So throughout the Bible, you have mentions of the prophet. And essentially a prophet was God's spokesman. He was the hype man. Okay? For the hip hop heads, he was the hype man. Okay? If God wanted to reveal himself to people, it was never directly. Okay, it was always through a prophet. You think of Moses, okay? you think of Elijah, you think of Jonah, all these guys were conduits for people to know God. In Exodus, you know, there's even a story in Exodus where you know, as, as Moses is leading you know, the Israelites, the Hebrews out of Egypt, right? they get to Mount Sinai where God's presence is, but the people are so terrified by God's presence, they actually tell Moses, Moses, um, you know what, we're going to stay back here. Okay, in the valley, uh, you go up. All right, we're a little scared right now, so why don't you go up to the mountain, go talk to God for us, have God tell you everything, and then you can come down and meet us. Okay. So the prophets played this prominent role of being God's mouthpiece. Okay, another prominent role that's mentioned throughout the Bible is the priest. Now, the priest was another go between for God and his people. This time it wasn't so much. You know, God, per middle person, people. It was more people of God, right? Needed an intermediary to get to God. So this was the priest, right? The priest was the middleman for the people towards God. The priest was the one who spoke on behalf of the people to make sacrifices for forgiveness of sins. Okay. They were the gods. They were the guys that you, were, you, called, you called to pray for you, to say, "Hey, can you pray for me and you know, make sure that me and God are good? I'll, I'll give you an animal to sacrifice." All right. And the priest was also the one who would essentially slaughter the animal every year. Once a year, they called it the Day of Atonement, where they would make sacrifice right, for the whole nation of Israel. Right. And they would make that sacrifice. For the forgiveness and covering of their sins by the blood of the animal, okay, and they did all the other ritual stuff. You know, if you're if you're if you're impure ritually impure, they're the ones that like bathe. You know, said you gotta bathe and do all this stuff and get and get pure before God. Okay, it was kind of like a lawyer in the modern sense would be like a lawyer, okay, taking our case to God. Okay, so they played a very prominent role in the life of Israel. Okay, and then the third role was. And this theme repeats itself often, is the king. And and everyone understands the king. The king was the one who ruled, right? And kind of like, you know, if God is the president, they were like their vice president, right? And they were the ones that, that ruled and protected God's people, represented God to uphold and care for his people. But oftentimes, so when you read, the Bible and you see what you see pop up is oftentimes you find that the men who fulfilled these roles were often really lacking. And in a lot of the passages, there seems to be a cry for someone better to fill those roles. Moses, as awesome as he was, okay, could never enter the promised land You know, the history goes that after he was, Israel was taken out of Egypt, they had to wander the desert for 40 years. And, you know, Moses is one of the greatest prophets in, in all of Israel, but he does something stupid. He sins against God and God tells him, you know what? You can't enter. The ones younger than you, the next generation will be able to enter. But you and your generation, you will not be able to enter. On top of that, though he was the spokesperson of God, did you know that actually Moses was a very timid man? You know, he didn't really do a lot of the speaking, especially in front of Pharaoh. You know who did all the speaking? His brother Aaron. So it's like, God speaks to Moses. Moses then spoke to Aaron. (laughs) Aaron spoke to the people. But then you had other prophets. You start to read some of these other prophets. You know, Jonah... Right? Most people know Jonah as the one you know, who, who went into the belly of the fish. Right? But actually, if you think about Jonah, Jonah was a crappy prophet. Right? God had told Jonah, hey, Jonah, um, there is this city called Nineveh. I know, you're, you know they're enemies with Israel, but I want them to know me. I want them to repent, so go tell them you know, to repent and tell them my words. And Jonah was straight up like, um, I really hate those guys right? You're kidding me, God. Like, why would you make me do it? Even though I'm your spokesman, you know what? I'm going to shirk my responsibilities. So he tried to run away on a boat. But then, you know, as you know, God said, no, 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 that's not happening, right? He gets eaten by by uh, by the fish, right, for three days, comes out, and then he has to go tell the people of Nineveh, and then the people of Nineveh get saved, and it's like, they hear God's word, and they get saved, God reveals himself, and it's like, wow, it should, like you should like be like, yay, how wonderful is God, but at the end of Jonah, all Jonah does is, he's under this shade, this tree, right, and then God makes the tree wilt, and then all he does is, oh my God, God, it's hot here, what the heck, and he says, Jonah, you're complaining about heat, where lives were at stake. And it's, then that, that's how it ends. Right? And you saw, see, like, huh, what kind of gives? They're supposed to be God's prophet. Right? And, and they, they're lacking. Right? And we see this e- even still today. Now, it, it seems like, you know, I'm talking about prophet, priest, and king. These are roles that you know, ancient Israelites did. But actually, even today, we see this. Right, we see this as humans, you know a lot of times, you know we don't have prophets, but people are always seeking purpose and guidance in life. Right? We see this all the time. People are always seeking purpose and guidance in life. And you know we may not have prophets like Jonah or Moses, but we do have modern day prophets, you know. If you ever go to, like, Barnes and... I, do people even go to Barnes and Nobles anymore? Okay, maybe when you peruse through, you know, Amazon.com and you look at the books, right? You always... On the best... And they always show, like, New York Times bestselling. You know how many of those books are self-help books? Right? Have, have you guys ever heard the, the book The Secret? Right? The Secret. Or, you know, have you ever heard of the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People? Um, or another book. How to Win Friends and Influence People? Right? What are all these books... Geared for you to do. They're trying to improve your life, or they're trying to give purpose to your life. Shoot, back you know in the early two thousands, there was a there was a small book called Purpose Driven Life by a guy named Rick Warren, right? And millions and millions and millions of copies were sold, which goes to show you, people are always searching for purpose, or in other words, I like to say, people are looking for God. They're looking for a voice to tell them and validate their life or give them some purpose or how to live. I mean, you look at all the parenting magazines, 10 Things You Can Do to Be a Better Parent, 10 Things You Can Do to, to you know, make your baby a wonderful, happy baby, okay? Or, you know, and every, everyone has different things, right? Um, some of our prophets today, especially amongst ladies, Vanity Fair, right? Anna Wintour, Right? how to dress properly, how to, you know, look good in the world. People are constantly looking for purpose. You know, this is why we have Tony Robbins, Joyce Meyer, right, these people. Uh, we're always seeking guidance. I am about a month ago, I went to, on this food tour in San Francisco, Chinatown, um, and we went to the oldest Buddhist temple in America, it's in Chinatown. So we go up there, and we look, and it's, it's kind of crazy. It's kind of cool. It's, like, very red. Um, and then our tour guide basically says, oh, yeah, and, and you know, you can go and do your, you can get your fortune told, right? And so she tells us, you know, they have these things, right? It's like a bamboo jar thing, and then it has bamboo sticks in it with numbers, right? And you're supposed to, and it's like, you know, one through, like, 100. And you're supposed to shake it. And eventually, one bamboo stick will come out and drop. Then you take it, you look at the number, and then and then there's like a placard with like your fortune. And she's like, Yeah, so some people do it. And she's, and then she started to give the story one time of how one girl on this food tour did it, and they're all just doing it for fun. She got it, looked at her fortune, and and our food tour tells us, and then she started to bawl. She just started to cry, and she couldn't stop crying, and I was like, weirded out. Right? Long story short, basically, this girl who had been on this food tour was dealing with some type of personal issue, some type of, like, crossroads in her life, and it just, by chance, she felt that this paper told her what to do. And she, like, called her sister and called her mom, right? And had to, like, they had to, like, end this tour right there and then, because it's, like, it's... Because you yeah, had this crying lady. And I heard that story, and I, and it, it, And it reminded me that, oh, yeah, people are looking for a voice to tell them how to live, to tell them what it means to live, how to live, what's my purpose in life. These are our modern-day prophets. But we have priests, too. And when you look at the priests, actually, in the Old Testament, you find that they're rather lacking, too. The priests in the Old Testament, some of them sucked. Honestly, some of them sucked. Some of them were very corrupt. Um, But more than that, you know, these priests were supposed to be the holy men of God, and they're supposed to give the sacrifice and be the go-between for God and his people so that, you know, sins could be forgiven, and Hebrews mentions this in the later chapters. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews basically says, but they're inferior. Because all the priests, when you think about it, were human just like us. Fallible in every single way. Sinful in every single way. And this is what he says in, in, in later on in Hebrews. He says, and, and the crazy thing is, though the animal sacrifice was used to... To, to, be, to forgive the sins of the people and to forgive the sins of the nation of Israel, he said, but the problem was they had to do it every year. It wasn't effective. And so the whole priesthood was ineffective. So when you start reading this, you realize there's a lack. And even today, we still have needs for priests. No, we. I mean, some. I used to live in Thailand for for a while, and you know, sometimes we would go visit. Mission teams come over, and we go visit Doi Suthep, which is the biggest um, um, temple in 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 uh, Chiang Mai, the city in northern Thailand. And we would go there, and you know, in America we don't see this a lot, right? But you, you go there, and you have these people having these incenses. And they're praying, and, you know, and they're praying in Thai. And I asked Pastor JJ one time, I was like, what are they praying? They're like, oh, she's, she's praying for, for some cosmic force to forgive her. Right? And she's like, And she was like praying daily. She was like shaking, doing all this stuff, and like really into it. Right? And it reminded me like, oh, yeah, people still need this. In America, you know, you can go to your, priest, your Catholic priest or your pastor or whatnot. But if you're not a Christian, you know, people still do this. We just call them counselors and therapists. Don't get me wrong. Counseling is a good thing. I go to counseling. Okay? I, I, I go to counseling. I think, it's, I think everyone should go to counseling at least once in their life. But why? Why do people go to counseling? You know, we live in one of the most affluent cities in the world of all time. And you would think that we wouldn't have problems. But people still have problems. Actually, people have more problems. More issues to deal with. Right? There are more people who go to counseling now than ever in any other time before. Why? Because they have some regret in life. They have some shame in life. They have some guilt in life. And it bears down on their soul. And they can't shake it by themselves. And so they need, they need an intermediary. They need that middle person to talk to and, and, and tell them and most, you know, secular, you know, therapists, it's you gotta learn to love yourself. Right? Learn to love yourself. forgive yourself. Right? Or we have situations where I mean that's pop pop psychology tells us this, right? Or we have situations where, you know, something wrong has been done to a person so deeply You know, maybe they were molested as a child or they go through a divorce or a bad marriage or something and it puts them in dark places and they have no outlet to really tackle these issues, right? Counseling is our modern form of priesthood. And then we have the king. Especially in the Bible, you find out that the kings of Israel they really suck. The king was supposed to be the one who ruled and protected God's people, but there are so many instances when you look at first Kings, 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, you see so many instances, even judges, you see so many instances where the kings of Israel who were supposed to represent God and protect the people failed to do so. On so many different levels. Some of the kings start to believe in other gods, they start to do child sacrifices, right? Everyone knows the story of David and Goliath, right? Everyone loves that story about David and Goliath. But one thing I you know, I started rereading that story just for this for this sermon, and you know one thing I realized? David is great. I mean, this whole story is great, but what I kept telling my repeating to myself was: where was the king? Where was King Saul? Why did you have a little 15-year-old kid go up against the mightiest warrior of the Philistines, Goliath? Where was the king to be the one who represented his nation to go beat up on Goliath? You know where the king was? Hiding behind his people. Not only that, when David beat Goliath, you know, if you keep reading, you find out that every, all, the, you know, all of Israel is like happy. Oh, we're not going to go into slavery. David did this wonderful thing. And they say, oh, he can, and he, they started singing songs about him. You know, King David can, I mean, David can slay 10,000 people. Saul can only slay five. Stuff like that. Now, if Saul was a good king, he should have been like, hey, you know, let him have his due. He did something great. But you know what Saul did? It said, the Bible tells us that Saul then started to become bitter against David, and he started to plot ways to kill David. These are the types of kings that Israel had. And the crazy part is, King David himself, when he became king, the greatest king of all of Israel. In the history books, he's considered the greatest king. You know, that's why the Israelite flag is Star of David, because David means so much. But you find out in... When you read the Bible, that King David, as great as he was, sucked too. Here he was, met a girl named Bathsheba, had sex with her, she conceived a child. Oh, but by the way, she's married to one of his command, or one of his soldiers, one of actually his better soldiers, Uriah. And you know, as a king, he probably should have been straight up with him, he said, I'm sorry. Right. But you know what he does instead? He tries to hide his tracks, and he basically says, um, he tells his commander, hey, make sure when we go into battle, Uriah goes into the front of the lines you know, in, in, in the worst part of the fight so that there's like a 99% that he dies. And he dies. Instead of protecting his people, he kills one of his own. I mean, it screams. The Bible literally screams for a need for a better king. And we see this all the time here, too. We don't have kings today, but in, especially in our political climate. Right, we're always looking for a leader who is righteous, who is good, who is honest. You know, back in 2008, um, that was supposed to be Obama, right? Obama was supposed to be the hope. Right? He was supposed to bring the change. Right? And over the years, hey, he's done some good things here and there, but he's also done some not so good things. And now we're in this new election and now we have to choose between a man who does not know how to speak, he probably needs to just be quiet a lot of the times, he spews a lot of hate, versus a woman, nothing against a woman, but you know, Hillary Clinton straight up lies. Right? And so like, as a voter, like, you're like, um... And this is what I hear all the time on Facebook. Right? I look at my Facebook feed, and I just see people always talking about, who do we do? <laughs> who do we vote for? Right? I think I'm going to have to vote for it. I'm going to have to do a write-in. I'm going to write in the rock as my president. Okay? And it's like, huh. People intuitively are looking for someone who can actually lead in goodness and in righteousness in some form of holiness, but we don't just see this in the political climate. Many of us who have worked for any you know, for any number of years have come across bad bosses and CEOs, and we get disillusioned in our work because we see that our managers don't care about us; they just care about the bad bottom line. Or they, we have bosses who just care about the bottom line, and so you're just replaceable. And so, we're, so we're conflicted when we work. or for our youth kids sometimes you know our parents are our forms of authority and they're supposed to be the ones that stand up for you and uphold righteousness and sometimes even our parents can can in their anger be out of control and and not logical and it hurts us there is this need and so when we look at the bible we see that in, those, in the prophet and the priest and the king in the lack of someone to fulfill those duties when we read the New Testament we begin to see that it is Jesus who more than able is able to fulfill the duty of the prophet the priest and the king it's jesus who is you don't even need like it's, it is jesus if god has revealed himself to jesus and jesus is god then that tells us that you don't need an intermediary you can go straight here you don't need a pastor to tell you you don't need a prophet to tell you you don't need you know some author who writes really well to tell you how to live you get it directly from god himself revealed in jesus but he's also the better priest, the more superior priest. Hebrews talks about this a lot. They say, the writer of Hebrews says, but we have a priest in the order of Melchizedek who was the better sacrifice, who does not need a sacrifice every year for our sins, but he himself provides a sacrifice. He himself provides his life to be the forgiveness of our sins once and for all. But not only that, but he also knows you and sees you in your deepest and darkest places because it is he who died on a cross was at his deepest and darkest moments so he knows how to sympathize and empathize with us. And so therefore we can go to a Christ, go to Jesus with all our wounds, knowing that he will not turn us away because he is the God who meets us better than any counselor or therapist or priest. Or when we see our governments or when we see our leaders fail over and over and again, we can have hope that one day that Jesus is the king who will right every wrong, who will take away every tear, And one day, really gather all the peoples of the nations and redeem it. And we will live in shalom, peace, love, mercy, and real justice. You know, these problems that arise in Scripture have relevancy today in our time now. And, you know, we're constantly looking for that great hope where we can arrive at truth, where there's someone who shows us how to live, where there's someone who would understand understand our woundedness, who would take away our shame and guilt, someone who has real righteousness and real authority and real justice. And as we constantly look for these things, in the same way Israel keeps looking, we see that it is in Jesus that we find all our answers. And that's what scripture points us to. That's when the Bible really comes alive. Because in Jesus we find all our needs, all our desires, all of truth, all glory, all beauty, all justice, all mercy. Everything that's worthy is in him. And it's when we begin to encounter this Jesus from the Bible. Pastor Susan talked about power. That's where the power comes from. When we encounter Jesus. Some of you guys might be thinking, well, the only reason you're able to like, do this is because you have seminary training, you're, you know, you're learning under Pastor Soo and I can't read the Bible that way. Right? Like, I can't, how am I supposed to do this? That's, I, that's like five steps too hard. Well, you can. You definitely can. Um, there is a book and this one um, is not mine. I have one as well at home. Um, but this was graciously given to me right now uh, by our gracious sister, Anna. It's called the Jesus Storybook um, Bible. Right? And I'm not trying to infantilize everyone. okay? Um, the reason I'm, I'm showing this is because I actually read this thing. I am a pastor, you know, I'm a pastor in training, seminary trained. I don't need to read this, right? And I can, like, go through this Bible and, like, you know, really understand it. But even I still read this, this infant Bible or this children's Bible. And what's so cool about this children's Bible is it takes all the stories in the Bible, you know, it doesn't do a chapter, you know, you have pictures and stuff, it's color, um, and what it does is it actually, in within all the stories, it purposefully makes it so that it explains how the story shows you that we need Jesus or reflects Jesus in some way. Right? And, you know, the first time I read this, you know, I, I was excited. So, oh, I'm going to show, you know, yes, I have, a, you know, a resource I can give, like parents to give to their kids so they can learn to read the Bible. And I was like, oh, that's the, you know, I was like super excited about that. And I was, and never in my mind was I thinking like, oh, I'm going to read this. It's a kiddie material. And they started opening this thing up. And I just kept reading and reading. And the funny thing happened to me. Like tears, with I, I kid you not, tears would start welling in my eyes. Because in a simple children's Bible that elevates Jesus, I started. It started to dawn on me. Wow! Like this is the God I serve a God who reveals himself in his son, who has done all these mighty works to redeem me, love me, care for me, rebuke me even. Right. And I started to think, wow, it's not just little children who needs this. I need this. Right. And so, you know that's just an encouragement for you guys. If you feel like, oh, now how do I look for Jesus in the scripture? Hey, I know it'll take a little bit of you know uh, you know, lowering our pride, but if you want to know, this is a good resource right here, a good way to start. Right? It does a wonderful job. And that's why we're Christians, right? We are followers of Christ, and we are seeking ways in which Christ shines light into our lives is the answer for the problems of the world, the problems of our friends. And we see it through scripture. Let's pray. Father in heaven, um, I hope uh, I spoke clearly, Lord, your word. Um, this was kind of a big message and. A lot of different parts to it and Lord, if there's anything that I have said that that you do not deem worthy, I pray it falls on deaf ears and but I pray, Lord, anything that is of you, I pray that people will hear and people will be blessed. And Lord, I pray that, you know, as for our EM members as they go through this series, I really pray that it would encourage them To dive into the word, not just because, but because they will encounter you, Jesus. Lord, at this time, um, as we give our offerings, may we reflect on how you are worthy of our praise. In your son's name, amen.